listening to Broncos This Week, presented by Original 16. The official beer of the Swift Current Broncos is Ryan Schweitzer and Craig Boschman. Broncos This Week podcast brought to you by Original 16. Happy to have you along for the ride for Episode 3. My name is Ryan Schweitzer. He's Craig Boschman. Craig Boschman, a man who every time he drives past Irvine, Alberta, now has a story to tell. I have PTSD from Irvine, Alberta, thanks to our... <laughs> Irvine was not kind to you. No, well... <laughs> Well, I shouldn't say the city. This, this, the rink wasn't kind. So obviously, I mean, people were, the plan was to broadcast our game on Living Sky Casino Broncos Hockey. I called ahead of time to make sure the internet would be good enough to work. I was told that there are two separate Wi-Fi networks, one that's public and one that's private that only a few people would have access to. So that should have worked. Yeah. Uh, Medicine Hat had the only actual internet pl- like, uh, hard, hard line plug-in because they needed to do the online scorekeeping. So they needed that, which is fair. I get yeah, that. I was, I was going to grill you on that. How no, no, no. They do stats, but you couldn't webcast. Yeah, they, had the hard, they had the hardline internet, so there's there's your answer. That then it was only one hardline cord, so which again makes sense. They yeah. get it; they're technically the home team, so they need that. That's fine. But I tested out the <laughs> internet beforehand before people started pouring in. It it worked fine, and I think that's at the point when I said we're doing our broadcast tonight. Tune in for the pregame show, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then the stands filled up. It was full. I went on about 15 minutes before our pregame show would have started. I went up to try and make sure things were still working. Couldn't even reload Twitter. The Wi-Fi was that bad because I guess this private network that nobody was supposed to have, yeah. everybody had this private internet network, so everybody was on it. I couldn't even reload Twitter, and I was like, well, I don't think we're going to be able to broadcast yeah. here today. And so, and some folks out there will say, oh, what about personal hotspotting and everything? And, that, and that's what I use when I do 57s games in open-air ballparks. Yeah. But you get... A roof over top of you with concrete and steel and whatnot. Like, try a hotspot and a broadcast in Swift Current. And in most rinks, it just won't work. So I, I was curious as to whether or not that was going to work out in the big I, city of Irvine. And I, I did try the hotspot thing, but it, as I could almost touch the roof from where I was standing in the broadcast location. So, uh, yeah, my phone had one bar of service. I did try the hotspot thing. Didn't work. So that's when we had to officially send out the bad news that the broadcast was not going to work, which was not received well by some people, which I get. I mean, I wasn't happy about it either. I wanted to broadcast the game. I wanted to get that practice in, but uh, it didn't work, unfortunately. But uh, thankfully, the next game, the home game, uh, went off without a hitch. It was perfect uh, for Thursday's broadcast and uh, expecting the exact same for this weekend's games uh, against Lethbridge. Okay, broadcast notwithstanding, how was uh, how was the Irvine experience? I mean, obviously, the Broncos skate out with a preseason win. Another goal for Josh Davies. Lots of positives to take from that. Uh, but, but yeah, the, the Irvine experience. Break it down for us. Yeah, I was still working. I got butter hot dog in the intermission, so I was still working. It's not like I had the whole night off. So uh, no, it was good. I mean, the, this, the <laughs> rink was butter happy could yeah, be a full time job. That, I yeah, I know yeah. it's it's important. So I, I did what I could to make sure I, I helped the team. Um, we had uh, Caleb Wirestock as a Medicine Hat guy, and, and they're playing right near Medicine Hat. So there was a, a TV crew that wanted to talk to him after the game. Um, you know, as you said, the Broncos got the win. It was a, it was a pretty cool atmosphere. There's there's only the stands in the one section, uh, and not that many rows deep. Maybe four or five rows deep, so not that many, but they were packed. I mean, the whole stands were packed. There was people standing around the corners and and watching, and I got to catch up with some people that I knew. Uh, one guy who works for that TV station in Medicine Hat, one guy used to play for the Tigers in Cam Barker, who helps out during training camp. So nice to see some old faces again. But uh, as you said, a great experience there. Our team got the win, which is uh, you know the most important part, even though it's still preseason. It's still much more fun to be a part of a win than, than a loss. So uh, all in all, a pretty great experience. I thought it was uh, kind of cool to get out there to one of those smaller 
rinks. Um, you don't obviously get those kind of games during the regular season. So um, kind of cool to see it during the preseason and, you know, see the excitement of people wearing, um, you know, Tigers equipment or Tigers gear. And I saw a couple of Broncos uh, sweaters there as well. So um, nice to see that the fans are traveling out there to catch in the game as well. And just uh, all in all, it was, uh, was a pretty cool experience there in Irvine, except for the broadcast not working. I love that they do that, though. I mean, yeah, it would be nice if you had the, the modern amenities of a lot of rinks to, to be able to do stuff like, like webcast or maybe stream video highlights and whatnot. But at the same time, I, I still love that the league chooses to do that. You know, we, we did it a few years ago. We did games in Maple Creek, which was a really cool event. We did Gull Lake, which was a lot of fun a few years ago. We did Shonovan. I, I think we got blown out that game, but it was the same thing. Like, the crowd was there. So, you know, I, I hope the league still continues to do it, maybe understanding that things aren't going to have the modern-day media accessibility that it would, but uh, but still a nice thing to be a part of. It. Yeah, and I think that's what Medicine Hat does every year because they don't actually have a home game in Medicine Hat this preseason. They wow. play in Irvine, then they play in Regina. Uh, they play in Red Deer, but not at the main rink in Red Deer. And then they play in Tabor uh, this Saturday to wrap up their preseason schedule. So that's they don't have a home game technically for uh, the preseason. They, I see the attendance on the website for that game in Irvine is 275, which seems all right for the size of that rink. Yeah, it was it was pretty packed in there for 275. So I thought it was good. It was good good experience. It was fun, and uh, I guess most importantly, the team got the win. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, 275 preseason attendance. Sure, you'd you'd probably get significantly more, but but I think a good experience for the players as well. They seem to enjoy it. Yeah, and it was cold in that rink too. So I'm glad the players were probably skating around trying to stay warm. I'm not sure how the coaches uh, stayed warm. Probably should have asked uh, Brandon as Brandon Cote, who the assistant coach who was in here earlier, if they were freezing on the bench. I know Butter was making comments about how cold it was in there. So, uh, but we the team fought through it and uh, picked up a big 4-2 win. And as you said, Josh Davies another goal, fifth of the preseason, uh, game-winning goal. So. He just continued to roll, and uh, again, looking forward to seeing him in the future. Butter wears shorts when it's minus 40, so the <laughs> fact that he said it's cold, it uh, it must have been frosty in there. So, uh, And then uh, after that, Broncos home game against uh, the Regina Pats. Uh, you know, what did you think of that uh, that outing? Break that down from yeah, the broadcast was, perspective. Yeah, I, you know what? I've, I've always been a stander during broadcasts. I, I always prefer to stand rather than sit, but with the uh, sight lines in the IPlex, I'm kind of forced to sit during home games because there is a gigantic steel beam right in my line of sight in the uh, zone off to my right if I'm standing up. So I had to, I eventually gave in and sat down, I think about halfway through the game and kind of just, you know, sat for the rest of the way. But, you know, it was good. Um, the team fought back again, another third period comeback. They, they came down from down 4-1 against Regina when they were in Regina. And then it was only 2-1 here, but a, a late goal from Ethan O'Rourke to tie it up. And uh, over time saw some good chances both ways. And it eventually she went to a shootout, which, you know, is a skills comp, whatever. But, um, yeah, it was it was cool to, to kind of get that home experience for the first time. Um, had to, to fill in and, and get lineups from the, the head coaches before the game because our, our normal volunteer, George, uh, wasn't uh, able to come to the game and uh, didn't realize that the road team has to fill it out first. So I brought the sheet over to Dean, and he's like, I don't know. He's like, uh, Regina's got to do it first. I was like, oh, so I took the long way back around again and <laughs> took Regina 10, 15 minutes to fill it out, run back around, and I'm in my suit, and I'm going up and down the steps to unlock all that. I was, like, sweating by the time the game started, so. Uh, unfortunately, didn't get the win, but uh, I mean, hey, three zero zero and one in the preseason so far. I think that's uh, maybe maybe better than some people expected, honestly. Yeah, visitor lineup always gets the clipboard first. Who knew? Uh, hey, we got a busy podcast today. We got, uh, dare I say, a loaded show. <laughs> as I make air quotes with my fingers, Brandon Cote joining us in uh, in just a moment on the Broncos This Week podcast, brought to you by Original Sixteen. You know, when when we hired Brandon, I, I think we could have 
put a bit more fanfare behind it when he came in. Like we made the dual announcement of Brandon and Scott and taken nothing away from from Scott. But I mean, Brandon, he had such a, a successful minor hockey career, uh, both at the pros and, and even growing up in Swift Current right now. And, you know, looking his stats up online, like he, he had a really, really storied, you know, hockey career. I mean, t- did some time coaching in PA with Mark Abscheid, but a, a playing career that took him all over the world. Yeah. And there's only, I think, six players in the history of the Western Hockey League that have played more games in the WHL than yeah. Brandon Cote. So he had a five full season career with the Spokane Chiefs after being a first round pick. We asked him about being a first round pick, what the, the draft process was like um, back in the mid 90s. Obviously now it's so easy to follow. It's streamed on YouTube for the first round and that kind of stuff. But uh, back then it was a little bit different. Let's put it that way. But and as you said, a, a long pro career, seven years he played, you know, in North America in the American League, in uh, in Britain, in in Germany and Italy like he had a, a heck of a career and, and he had some <laughs> it's some pretty awesome stories from his time both uh, over in Europe and also here in North America playing pro and you know some camps that he went to and and, and uh, playing under um, you know Mike Babcock in Spokane world U17s which were hosted here in his hometown and he ends up scoring the tournament winning goal in the final 10 seconds like unbelievable stuff we got from Brandon Cote I was hoping that he was going to be open to you know opening up a little bit and talking about his playing day and, and he did that and then some for this interview. So I'm really glad that, uh, you know, Brandon was so open to talking about his, his playing past and uh, a really great interview that we got with him uh, on this show. Yeah, for sure. And then we're going to juxtapose that Brandon Cote with a very, very storied, storied junior career. And we're going to have our first ever Crescent Point down the pipeline with someone whose career is just getting started. We got signed first rounder Matt Ward. You talked to him while he was in Swift Current for camp. Yeah, I grabbed him uh, during the um, the scrimmages that were going on, was able to sit down with uh, with Matt for a couple of minutes and just kind of run through, you know, his his career so far. Obviously, he's just getting started, but, um, you know, with him being a first-round pick and being a guy who's, who's signed and and will be a Bronco, you know, at, at some point during this year, he'll get some games in and then next year for a full-time player. So uh, I wanted to get to sit down and, and get a chance to, to get to know Matt a little bit. So we talked about hockey. We talked a little bit about, um, you know, his personal interests and things like that. So um, a guy who I'm sure Broncos fans are going to be seeing and hearing a lot from as the years roll on and as he becomes a full-time Western League player. So uh, it was nice to get a chance to sit down with Matt, get to talk to him, and then our first ever edition of Down the Pipeline for Crescent Point, as you said. Every three, I think every three weeks is the plan to do one of these. So we're going to talk to probably the, the player and um, either, you know, maybe their their coach at the time for their, their midget teams or maybe um, Gary Aubin, who's the director of player personnel for or player development for the, uh, for the Broncos as well. So uh, it was nice to get a chance to talk to Matt, and I'm looking forward to getting a chance to meet all these guys and talk to all these guys uh, as the year goes along. Down the Pipeline brought to you by Crescent Point. That's coming up near the end of our Broncos This Week podcast. Brandon Cote standing by, and we'll have that chat with the Bronco assistant coach shortly. You're listening to Broncos This Week, presented by Original 16, the official beer of the Swift Current Broncos. Welcome back to the Broncos This Week podcast brought to you by Original 16. Our guest is uh, Swift Current Bronco assistant coach uh, Brandon Cote. Thank you very much for joining us, Brandon. No problem. Happy to be here. It's uh, It's been nice getting to know you over the past few years. I know we've talked about this uh, off mic before, but uh, I knew your dad back when he was interning to be a teacher. He did a year at SCCHS back in the day and... Uh, 
that was a scary looking dude. <laughs> like to, to, to describe him like giant upper body, like big shoulders, big arms, like big back. And he had like at the time, what was like the badass haircut. He had the spiky mullet. So he was an intern and normally like us kids, we give the interns a lot of flack. Not Mr. Cote, not Mr. Cote. Yeah, no, he's, uh, yeah. Born and raised in Swift Current. And, um, yeah, he's one of those guys. It's funny. Scotty was talking to Dave Adolph, who's, who knew my dad growing up, and he said, yeah, I asked about uh, my dad, and he said, you know, Scott, I'll tell you one thing. Your Brandon's dad is definitely on probably my all-time top three toughest guys in Swift Current. <laughs> so um, my dad was a farm guy growing up, and uh, yeah, he's a pretty good backstory actually as well. He'd be an interesting interview just going from <laughs> dropping out of high school to be becoming a principal and, and doing a lot of different things over the course of his life. So... But he's a gentle giant. He's he's one of those guys that has a heart of gold, and um, on the exterior is pretty tough-looking uh, character. I was gonna say, where do you rank amongst the toughest people in Swift Current? If your dad's top three, <laughs> well, I can't say I can't say I'm I'm close to that. But actually, Travis Mullen, uh his dad and my dad used to hang out in their younger days. So I'm sure they uh, Mo would have some interesting stories that his dad probably told him about my dad and his dad together out there. Yeah. You know, was, your dad was born and raised in Swift Current. You were born and raised here as well. So I'm wondering when you were growing up, was it always kind of known that you were going to be a hockey player from day one? Yeah, you know, I, I loved it at an at a early age. And I was fortunate to be around the Broncos. And really, that's ironically enough, uh, coming back full circle, that's the reason why I got into hockey is I love the Broncos and we ended up we billeted players during the time uh you know the Sheldon Kennedy uh Joe Sackick Dan Lambert era so we've I've lived all of that stuff as a young kid going through even the trials and tribulations of the bus crash and whatnot and the high the highs of the Memorial Cup in in 89 and all that so I got to live that as a young boy and that was really what propelled me to to want to be a hockey player I don't know what it was like back then, but when it came time for the WHL Bantam draft, like, were you aware that you were a, a potential first rounder? Yeah, I was. And actually, I was living in Yorkton at that time. So we moved away. My dad actually got his first full-time teaching job in Yorkton when I was 10. So we moved away and I got to play with uh, Jared Stoll at that time. And we had some pretty good teams growing up in Yorkton in the Pee Wee Bantam uh, time frame and yeah, I had some success I was fortunate I had some success and I knew I was going to be a, a a fairly high Bantam pick I didn't know if I was going to be a first round pick or not specifically but I did have a lot of teams including Swift Current call me and have interest in me it didn't necessarily work out that I got to be a Bronco but I was definitely fortunate to land where I was in Spokane and and had a very memorable uh, WHL career there. Now the draft is so easy to follow nowadays it's streamed live for the first round on YouTube I don't know what it was like back in the mid 90s so how were you able to follow the draft as it was happening i uh, know actually it was just one of those things where i think i ended up getting a call from i was at school and i got a call uh, to the print side to go to the office to to get a call from the <laughs> the chiefs to let them know let they let me know that i was drafted by the chiefs but it was interesting i remember that day because all my friends were asking about it and i had no idea but really at that time it was still and dating you date yourself a little bit but even just i, I bugged the guys here 
um, just in terms of social media and following, you know, your, your progress now, it's just easy to click of a button and, and on Facebook and Twitter and whatever else. But, uh, back when I, when I was in Bantam to find out how you were doing in terms of the league, you had to wait for the weekly stats to come out to, to find the top scores every <laughs> week in the, in the paper. So that's kind of how it was then. Were, were you at the time, were you hoping Swift current? Cause I know Spokane, they picked after the Broncos did in the first round that year. Did you have in the back of your mind that you might be going home? I, I did, yeah. I mean, I, I would have been happy anywhere I went. Obviously, it was a real huge goal of mine to play in the Western Hockey League. And uh, as it kind of went, you know, you're hoping that it would have been the Broncos. But um, like I said, I, I was very fortunate to be able to land in Spokane where I did to play my junior career. Yeah, and you had a hell of a career. I mean, you played five full seasons there with the Chiefs, and I guess we can kind of start with your first year. You, you guy born and raised in Swift Current, living in Yorkton, then you go to Spokane, Washington. I mean, that must have been a pretty culture, big culture shock for you. Yeah, it was, and I, I guess Spokane's one of those places where I think my mom was more worried at that time <laughs> than I was. I was, I had a great supportive family growing up but I, I always uh, for a while I had known that that's uh, something I wanted to do and so I was prepared for that um, but yeah it was it, from going to from small town Saskatchewan to, to Spokane um, it was a bit of a uh, an adjustment but at the same time we had a lot of good people around us to support and uh, my family was was there as much as they could to watch and, and whatever but I had a lot of really great people in my corner to help me out to make that adjustment. Bosch, you mentioned it. Uh, we were just, before we got the interview started here, ninth in all-time leagues uh, games played in the Western Hockey League. You know, what was that like? So obviously you would have had to play a lot as both a 16-year-old and a 20-year-old. Uh, and it was a different game back then. Like, it was a real physical clutch-and-grab type era. Mm -hmm. You know, what was the secret to that to that kind of longevity for you? I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I always pride myself on being in really good shape, and that was a big part of it. Um, you know, and I wasn't uh, – I put up some points in, in junior. I wasn't a highly, highly skilled guy. I was a, more of a two-way guy, but I got in there, and I was gritty, and, and I, I didn't back down. And so I think just playing consistently and taking care of yourself is, is huge, even in uh, this day and age for these guys. And I had a fortunate uh, – opportunity to play a lot like even as a 16 year old we hosted the Memorial Cup so we had a really strong team um, but Mike Babcock was the coach at the time and he put a lot of trust in me uh, as a young guy and put me in situations where I could be successful and um, you know I, I definitely progressed and developed as I went and you know I think it's one of those things a double-edged sword you're I'm definitely proud I was able to play the amount of games that I did and in, in terms of uh, you know staying healthy and whatnot I think maybe I missed one or two games every year um, and then obviously playoffs too we had I think only, we only had the one year after the Memorial Cup where we struggled a little bit in terms of our results but we always had good playoff teams where we we, we challenged uh, for for the league championship and so that was that was always uh, a great experience um at the same time you know i probably would have given um maybe not playing as a 20 year old uh, if i could have had that chance but fortunately i think it worked out where as a 20 year old i had a really good good season and i earned a nhl uh entry level contract with chicago after that season so it all worked out for me that way for sure yeah and you had a really storied pro career we'll touch on that in just a little bit but uh, one of the stories i uh, i learned last year being on the road with you guys doesn't mike babcock have like a scar because of you what, what's that story <laughs> yeah no i think uh i want to say it's on his left cheek um 
we were we were just doing a live five. And it's not on. little either. Like you can <laughs> no, still it's see it. Big, yeah. So what ended up happening, I think, was we were doing a live five on five drill in practice, and he was dropping the puck. Um, why he was dropping the puck and not maybe one of the assistant coaches, I don't know. But because Mike would, Mike's a guy that obviously, if you know him, he gets in there and he, he wants to be be the guy. So you know he was dropping the puck and the guy that I was facing off against uh, wasn't ready and I lifted his stick and ended up pitchforking Mike right in the face. So <laughs> the end of my blade of my stick went right into his face and he was bleeding and I, I just froze. I didn't know what to do. And he just kept blowing. He just kept yelling, keep playing, keep playing, keep going. And then he blew the whistle and came over to the board and was writing something on the board. And then finally, went, I think it was Bill Peters, who was our assistant coach at the time, said, Mike, you got to go. And so he just kind of chucked his stuff down and said a few uh, swear words. And then off he went to the to the doctor to get it sewn up. And I think it was probably about 20 stitches. He actually had to get a, it was pretty jagged too. So he had to get a plastic surgeon to get that fixed. You must have thought you were getting traded after that for sure. Yeah, I, had to, I definitely had to walk on eggshells for a few days after that. But we had a little chat about it, a little chuckle and he was okay I mean I think for him he was probably in a way he was almost I don't want to say happy but <laughs> he's the type of guy that he he expects his players to be going full out all the time and so if it was any other way he probably maybe would have been mad at me for not trying hard in the face <laughs> off I'm not sure but yeah it was interesting story so anyone who sees that on TV especially when the lighting is a little bit different on the interviews that's definitely uh, my mark I left on him <laughs> now you mentioned that the Chiefs hosted the Memorial Cup in 98 when you were a rookie so I can't imagine there's already a spotlight on you I would think being the first round pick going there as a rookie but then you combine that with hosting the Memorial, like what was the, the the pressure on the team like and maybe on yourself as well yeah, it was great, and Spokane did a fantastic job of, of running the event at that time. There was the if anyone's been to the Spokane Arena, it's a first class facility, and it was sold out. You know, the whole for most of the season we had sellouts, and uh, in the Memorial Cup it was no different. So that was great, and yeah, the pressure was on, and it, the Memorial Cup is at that time. I think the Memorial Cup was more of a kind of end-all be-all thing for teams whereas now I think there maybe is a little bit more I guess onus put on the winning the league championship um, we did come in the back door per se because we ended up losing to Portland in uh, seven games in the Western Conference final and saying that they had a fantastic team and I think us and, and Portland were, were the two best teams in the league that year, so it came down to overtime in Game 7 to move on to the league championship against Brandon. Um, and then, yeah, it was the pressure was, was crazy. We we had uh, we played uh, Roberto Luongo and Valdor in the first game and uh, did pretty good against them. And I think it came down to us and uh, Portland, um, and they ended up beating us. And the way our the way our season went, it was almost like one on, one off, back and forth. So we felt that even though we lost the round robin game, if we saw them in the final, that it was our turn. And unfortunately, it didn't turn out that way. We lost to Guelph, uh, Manny Maholtra and Guelph in double overtime. So it was one of those games where the yeah the pressure just built, and it was a real tight game, defensive battle, and uh, we hit the crossbar. 
uh, going one way and then it came back for, for a face off and uh, they end up scoring kind of a backdoor tap in. So I remember that like yesterday and I was devastated for, for quite a while after that because you're so close to kind of reaching one of your dreams and goals as a young guy and it's not there. But uh, overall, fantastic experience. Well, I know one tournament that did go really well for you was actually the last time Swift Current hosted the World Under-17s and that's coming back here this November. And uh, that's got to be exciting for you because that was a tournament that you captured gold in and scored the tournament winning goal here in Swift Current. I mean, what what was that like? Yeah, it was pretty cool. And, you know, again, it's one of those experiences where as a young guy, obviously going through the program of excellence was one of those things that I aspired to, to do. And playing for Team Saskatchewan at the U-17s was the start of that. And I was fortunate enough to be the captain of that team. And we had some real good players on the team. And at the same time, we were underdogs for sure. I think we ended up playing the United States and uh, Rick DiPietro in the final game uh, in the round robin. I think they beat us five or six nothing. Uh, we played in Rosetown, actually. It was a really great atmosphere in there. And then, uh, yeah, coming back, I think we got down three or four nothing in the game going into the third period and um, got one, got two. And then we ended up actually, and this, the story goes, is that we used two illegal stick penalties on Rick DiPietro to get two, <laughs> two, two consecutive power plays. No way. And at that time, it was still fairly, I guess, it still happened where where you use those if you needed to right and we saw like he was just firing the puck down the ice the whole time so our one coach asked one of us to skate by and looked like he had a banana on his stick and so they they measured it and it was illegal so we got a penalty they got a penalty we got a power play we scored on it right away and then right away brad McEwen uh called it again because we saw the trainer go down the wall the tunnel and in the broncos room because that's the side they were on and grab a new stick but he didn't have any other pattern so we called it again and sure enough (laughs) so we scored again to tie it up and then yeah with uh, 10 seconds left uh two on one uh, I'd like to say I I uh, looked the guy off and went top <laughs> cheese, but I actually tried to pass it across, and it went off the the D man skate and through his leg. So, but either way, it was. Uh pretty crazy in the building and uh, a fantastic way to end off that tournament. DPHO probably hates the city of Swift Current if that's yeah. the case. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't think you'd have very good things to say about that <laughs> if you'd asked him now. Uh, well, really very much looking forward to U-17s when they happen again and uh, we're probably on the road for that. I don't know if you'd be able to enjoy the tournament as much as you'd like to, but uh, has to bring a smile to your face to think of that coming back. Now, U-17 win in Swift Current and then, uh, you know, that story junior career that we touched on. You, you had a pro career that pretty much took you all over the world eh? yeah you st- I, signed with the Blackhawks so did junior is that right yeah I signed as a free agent uh, with Chicago out of, out of junior so uh, that was fantastic I mean I got to experience uh, four four preseason uh, training camps and some exhibition games and whatnot with Chicago and at that time they were just building and but you know had in the American League had an opportunity to play with some pretty good players and guys like Duncan Keith when they were real young and and uh, Brent Seabrook and and uh, Corey Crawford all those type of guys so that was obviously a great experience for me and we had a we had a really good group in Norfolk uh, which was where the farm team was in Virginia Trent Yanni was our coach who was a fantastic head coach and now is a real good coach in the NHL. Um, and we had a lot of Western League guys on our team. So we had a real tight kind of fraternity there. Um, 
so yeah, they did the American League for a few years and then um, didn't re-sign with Chicago. Um, you know, it was more of a third, fourth line guy in the American League. And hopefully, it was hoping at some point we'd get an opportunity just to try to prove myself at the next level. Didn't happen, but you know, I went over to Europe and played. Um, I played in in uh, Italy and Germany and a year in England. Um, so again, one of those things where. You you got to continue your pro career a little bit, see the world, travel, and uh, still play some really good hockey and, and make a little money along the way. And so all those life experiences have definitely I'm very proud of. Yeah, I mean, I mean, before we dive into the time in Europe, like I, the moment when I'm guessing your agent calls you and says, "Hey, I have an NHL contract with your name on it." Like, I mean, that must have been a pretty you know pretty crazy moment for yourself. Yeah, it was, and especially you know I didn't get drafted. I went to uh, the year I didn't get drafted. My draft year it was my seventh year on the year, and we. A, we had a tough year, like I said, uh, results-wise as a team. Um, I played for the under-18 uh, Team Canada team that summer at the what is now the Nalinka tournament, and we won gold at that. And I, I hurt my, I sprained my ankle that that tournament so that that set me back quite a bit they didn't necessarily have a very good in my mind a very good season that year um individually and so didn't end up get drafted which was okay I got invited to go to the Detroit Red Wings camp that year and that was a real good experience because that was at the time when uh the Red Wings were in their in their glory so got to rub shoulders with Stevie Y and Brett and Shanahan and all those type of players so that was again experiences that you, you can't take back so um but yeah, real proud of the fact that I was able to just continue to work and, and have, you know, my dream of, of not necessarily full-time playing in the NHL, but having a little bit of a taste of it. And uh, it, it was fantastic. And, and again, a lot of those memories that I'll have uh, to be able to tell my kids that I already am. And, <laughs> and it's pretty neat to be able to have those chats with them about it. When, when you're 18 and going to a Red Wings camp, do you even look at Steve Eisman in the eye? Can you even look at him or you just like kind of keep your head down and try and stay as quiet <laughs> as possible? Well, f- actually, funny story with that too. So I did end up getting, uh, uh, it took me probably the whole camp to ask them, but I had a couple extra blades because uh, there were two-piece sticks at that time. So I had a couple extra blades in my in my bag and I uh, towards the end I I had to muster up the courage to go ask Stevie Y and Brennan Shanahan to sign sign my stick so I still have those at home um, but funny thing it, it was in Traverse City which is at that time and I'm sure it is now the atmosphere in there just for even training camp like it's packed with people like just people upon people um, even for just for the practices so a really crazy atmosphere for the Red Wings but um one one scrimmage we had um we were i was on the opposite team of stevie y and i was forechecking and being just kind of an a i guess naive young guy like go in there and he's coming out with the puck and i'm going at him kind of full bore and he makes a move and i move with him and i just kind of put my shoulder into him and he i hit him and he fell over and you could see like Ken Holland and Scotty Bowman up in there. They're laughing, right? And Stevie Stevie Wise laying on the ice, and I'm like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I was like, sorry, and I just kind of st- skated back to the bench. And then I just remember like going back to the bench, and I can't even remember who was on the bench, but you can imagine the guys that were on that team that were there, and they were giving me the gears. And it, it took me a while to kind of get the 
get the confidence to go back out there and, and play like full out again because I hit my one of my idols. So, <laughs> well, you go over to England first, Nottingham Panthers for one season. So, is it just a matter of the end of your three year entry level deal? You think maybe I should try something else and go overseas and have some success there? Yeah, I think it was uh, a combination of uh, you know, I, I waited out as I, I probably waited longer. Um, that summer to see if there was any other interest from other teams um, to stay in North America. And there was a little bit, but more American League type deals or, or East Coast League stuff. So at that point, I just felt, you know what, I, maybe I can try to go over to Europe and, and, and get my foot in the door there. At the same time, um, being the type of player I was, I wasn't a full offensive guy at all in the American League. So in order to get you know real good places to start out over there um in terms of like switzerland and those type of places with with real high-end money you have to be an offensive guy to put up points right and so uh at that time i just felt i, I waited there wasn't as many opportunities left at the time frame that i did later on the summer so i, I went over there and, and did that hoping that would be a bit of a stepping stone into other places um so yeah i did that for a year and then i, I did decide to come back and um tried North America again and a little bit and kind of with uh, in the East Coast for a year and a little bit up in the American League again with with Norfolk again as a call-up um, and then yeah then I just decided you know what it's it's time just to go over there and enjoy traveling and, and playing some fairly high-level hockey and and uh, so I did that for a couple of years in, in Italy and Germany and then I ended up having a knee injury that really kind of forced me out uh, and then kind of went from there so so playing you, you played pro in north america and then you went and played pro in europe mm-hmm. what were the major differences and i'm i'm really thinking more off ice with this question you know culture and whatnot <laughs> yeah. and atmosphere and what guys do in their free time yeah yeah well there was a lot more free time over there um especially in italy like we would practice well the place that i played in was cortina so it's it's in northern italy uh, a very beautiful place like banff times five um and the issue was that our rink it it was uh it was glass on the one side and so it was facing in the morning it was facing east so in the morning we couldn't practice because the the glare was just so (laughs) so hard you couldn't you could you were blinded by the sun so we had to practice later on in the afternoon or at night time so you'd have all day right to to do whatever and and up in in northern italy like there's it's a fantastic place but not a lot going on and even just the schedule of how things work there like a lot of times it would be you know stores would be open in the morning for people to go get their fresh breakfast and bread and and whatever and then things at at like noon would shut down uh until supper time that's just how it works over there and so you'd kind of be in limbo for a lot of the day right so you have to be creative with with what you did and and um but a little more laid back but at the same time there was a lot of pressure on especially the imports to uh to perform and to play well and to produce because that's what you're kind of brought over uh to do so in saying that yeah it was a little bit more of a laid-back atmosphere there was definitely some pressure and and there were there are a lot of teams that um 
weren't afraid to get rid of their imports if they needed to. So, yeah. So I don't know how far the distance is between these teams in the Italian league, but what's the travel like? Are you guys ride on a rickety old bus, or there's some plane rides in there? What's the? Uh, no, no plane rides, but uh, in the buses were were they were great buses. Uh, no problems with that. But the the real issue is like up in the mountains, like a lot of the teams were within. 40 50 kilometers of each other but it would take two and a half hours to get there just because it was like switchbacks up and down the mountains and sometimes the bus would be coming down the mountain and there'd be a vehicle coming up and you get to a switchback and corner and the bus would have to back up the mountain and let the car go by and <laughs> we actually drove on the road uh in the movie the italian job yep. you know when they come and they meet down on the bridge and then stuff goes haywire that that was a normal route for us to go on um so you can imagine kind of that gives you a little bit of a visual of what that was was like to travel there and then even on on some of the mainstream highways uh the italian drivers aren't afraid to <laughs> to put the pedal to the metal let's put it that way the country that gave us the lamborghini yeah. so i'm yeah, thinking for, yeah for <laughs> sure yeah so and then in comparison in germany it's same type of thing but just the infrastructure there is so fantastic and things are so so efficient and um yeah the culture in both places were were very interesting to be able to be i guess immersed in and you learn a lot about how people live and do things over there and you have an appreciation for a lot of the things that you have here but at the same time you also have an appreciation for a lot of the things that they do well over there like just in terms of even taking care of the environment and and that type of stuff is is so much more advanced than we have here it's easy nowadays to watch highlights from games over in europe and see the european fan base i mean it's, i guess it's, it's different in country to country i mean germany there's pretty hardcore fans i think but i mean in italy were you guys playing in front of cellos or is i mean what was professional hockey in italy like yeah, you know, you'd be surprised. Like it, uh, you know, the the rinks weren't huge, but you know, two three thousand people. All the rinks for sure. Some of the rinks had kind of open air um, walls to them, right? Didn't have walls, but and it got really cold. Um, but like a soccer mentality, so you know, they'd have the their supporters come to all the games, and yeah, it was it was actually a lot crazier than what I expected, and. Um, very very well supported over there and they they followed their teams and uh yeah i mean we had probably seven or eight imports uh, canadians or americans on our team and the rest were you know young italian players and some had some of them had part-time jobs or whatever and then they came to the rink and practice and they didn't play a, a lot but they were a, a big part of the, the makeup of our teams so um but yeah really really cool atmospheres and people right on top of you and jumping up and down and and all the stuff you'd you'd watch really in a like a Bundesliga soccer game or whatever Italian league soccer game so yeah pretty neat you know in Swift uh, you're recognized when you go out as a member of the Broncos and it sounds like it was the same when you were playing in Italy what was it like interacting with fans there like I imagine you probably it sounds like you were a bit of a rock star in town with the community support that you had but were they knowledgeable fans like given their input on like the formations you run on the power play and such or well i wouldn't say that but if i guess the one thing is if you lost or you didn't play well you know it right away right <laughs> and either they wouldn't come talk to you and they'd be like okay or or they'd come and give you an earful and, and ask you they didn't fully understand why um they're definitely not as knowledgeable as here but very passionate people and and uh 
you know, important parts of, of having those teams still exist over there and, and you know, providing uh, sponsorships and whatnot. So a lot of people in the community were very important parts to keeping those those teams up and running as well. You mentioned the knee injury kind of put your playing career, you know, to an end, but was there always that thought in the back of your head that you were going to be a coach someday or did that come up shortly after your playing career? Yeah, I'd always thought of it. Um, you know, I think when I finished playing, it was actually a decision where I wanted to uh, – I guess I, 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 I thought, well, maybe I should just get into coaching right away uh, when I just finished playing. But I did decide to go back to school, which was a very good decision. I had taken classes um, while I was playing pro even, and even my last few years of junior, I took courses that were paid by the league, which obviously that scholarship uh, education was was very uh it, it helped me as well so um used that and went back to red deer where my wife was teaching uh, at the time and uh went back to school and got my education degree and at that point in time i was able to to focus on teaching and i think a lot of the things that you learn in teaching obviously translate into to coaching and and so that was really the the frame of thought there um as well as having a backup plan so i did i did teach for a few years and was coaching at the same time but at the end of the day uh, being in the game and helping these young guys progress and and continue to help uh, my career develop as a coach was the road I wanted to go now. Yeah so applying for the job in Swift Currents a couple seasons ago how how did that all materialize and and what was it like you know finally heading back home for for hockey related purposes? Yeah, you know, it was it was interesting because I had been in PA a couple of years before that, and then I went there for a year um, just as a bit of a trial. Mark Habscheid, I have a really good relationship. He's from the area. I've known him and his family for a long time, and, and um, he coached against me, and he actually coached me at the under-18s when I played back when. So we had a history together, and he was looking for a guy to come in and help, and so I, I wanted to give that a shot. So I did take a year leave from my teaching contract there and do that. So I did get a little bit of experience that year with PA um, you know my family did stay in, in Red Deer at that time and it was just one of those decisions where I had to make I'm going to stay in PA and give up my teaching contract at that time or go back and teach and I knew I had another opportunity to coach at Red Deer College so end up going back to Red Deer and then uh, doing that and then it was just one of those things where I really just felt the itch to be back in the league again and started to put my name out a little bit and then I knew the the situation here in Swift Current and uh, put my name forward to Dean and it was funny because I had known Dean or just I met him a little bit just interacting with him when he was with the Blades and I was with the Raiders and I think he obviously knew who I was just from past stuff and uh, I put my name in but I didn't hear back from him for about a month and I was kind of wondering and I was working a hockey school and I was getting ready to to go back and get ready to go to school again and get all that set up and he just called me out of the blue and he probably left three or four messages and you got to call me right away and <laughs> it just kind of really went from there and we had some conversations and uh yeah lucky enough to be back here and and helping helping our program get back to where we need to be well and you mentioned your career growing as well i mean i hate to put you on the spot but we, what do you what do you see for your career a couple years down the line I mean, what's what's the end goal for you well, I mean, I would like to think any young uh, coaches in the league, assistant coaches are aspiring to, to work their way to be a head coach. I think that's definitely something that I aspire to do. 
and uh, it's always a learning experience no matter if you're a 20 year guy or you've been in the league two or three years there's always things to learn and people to learn from and so I'm just kind of taking it a year at a time day at a time you know my focus right now is to be the best assistant coach I can for Dean and uh, the support for our players to help teach them the things that they need to be able to learn to be successful players and to again help our program to to develop into to a consistent winner again so that's my focus now and I think I guess I'm a believer in is if you put in the work and you do a good job in what you're doing um, opportunity is going to come away at, at some point in time so that's really my focus right now you're just off the ice uh, as we're recording this from uh, from practice uh, the team getting ready to wind down the preseason this coming weekend you know wh- what do you think about this uh, this year's group of guys a lot of returning faces from last year i know that that's something that you could probably talk a real long time about but uh, you know this year's squad what what's your assessment early here well it's been encouraging and you know, we we don't we never want to i guess be unrealistic um but at the same time, like I think this year coming in, even for us as a staff, we we know each other better. We we know what to expect from each other. I think we're anytime you work with people for a certain amount of time, you just really, if you're doing things the right way, you're you're getting better as a group. And so, as a staff, we talked about a lot of things over the summer that we need to to fix and and get better at and improve upon. Um, and we, I think we've done that so far. I think our expectations for the players is that, you know, we're we're coming in here and we're we we got to we're going to give ourselves a chance to win every night. And that may or may not happen. And we know that. And we know that we're still a long ways from where they were two years ago. Um, but we're being realistic with that, and we're pushing our players more. I think we're it's good in that we're familiar with the people that we have, whereas last year we came in a little bit blind um, and not really knowing what we had to work with. So I think that foundation is built. Um, you know, we're excited about the young guys that we had in our, our draft, and we're excited about the progress that a lot of guys have made here over the summer. So, you know, we've seen some encouraging results in the exhibition season, and that really doesn't mean anything. But at the same time, I think there's, from what we've seen of our group, there's a little bit more, uh, I guess, of a belief that we can go out on the ice and, and win, and uh, that's important. Speaking of those young guys, we're going to have our first uh, down the pipeline for Crescent Point with Matt Ward uh, in our podcast this week. And you being a former first-round pick, you kind of know what it's like to be the focal point of a a team that's kind of hoping these young guys can take that next step. So when you look at these young guys that the team was able to pick up this year, you kind of know what they're going through. And I think that kind of allows you to help them out a little bit too. Yeah, I mean, I would would like to think that's probably one of my – the assets that uh, I can bring to the table is I've – you know, I didn't play in the NHL for 20 years, but I've been through the the trials and tribulations of this league. And times have changed, but at the same time, it's not much different. And so to have that pressure on you as a young guy, I, I feel I can relate to these kids. And, um, you know, that's something I try to keep in mind every day. And, uh, you know, Matt and Josh and Tyson and whoever is going to be here two or three years now, yeah, there's, there's pressure to come in and perform because all eyes are on you. But... At the same time, I think the message to all our guys is you just have to know who you are as a player and know what you're good at and understand what you need to work and, and continue to prove upon and come to work every day to get better. And And there's going to be tough nights and there's going to be good nights, but you just got to try to keep that, and I know it's cliche, but that, that even keel of things are going right, it's awesome, things are going not so great, keep working. 
and uh, that's what we try to instill in our guys. Swift Current Bronco assistant coach Brandon Cote joining us on the Broncos This Week podcast brought to you by Original 16. Uh, we know this time of year is a really, really busy one. We thank you for taking what's turning out to be uh, 33 <laughs> minutes and counting yes. with us right now, and, and we could go on and on. you got so many stories, and we really appreciate you joining us today, Brandon. No problem. Pleasure, guys. Thanks. Matt Ward standing by as we go down the pipeline for Crescent Point after this. It's time to go down the pipeline. Presented by Crescent Point. Davies scores a hat trick for Josh Davies. Will we take a look at the next generation of Swift Current Broncos? It is time to go down the pipeline for Crescent Point for the first time. And their first ever guest on this segment of our podcast is going to be Matt Ward, 14th overall pick in the 2019 Western Hockey League Bantam Draft. Matt, uh, before we get into your current career and your uh, Swift Current Broncos future, I wanted to go all the way back to the beginning. Why don't you tell me how you first got into playing hockey? Uh, I think it was my dad. He just got me and my two other brothers into hockey like pretty young. What kind of memories do you have um, playing hockey as a kid? I mean, it's sort of one of those things where your parents going to drive you to the rink at 5 a.m. I mean, what other sort of early memories do you have of the game? Yeah, I got a lot of memories, you know, just lots of early mornings, you know, just all that kind of stuff. What was it, do you think, that kind of made you enjoy hockey so much? I mean, what is it about the game that kind of keeps bringing you back for more? I just love the competitiveness and just, like, everything with it, you know, the hard hits, the, the speed of it, the uh, I like the speed of the game. Just everything about it, pretty much. Now, your team last year, you were playing for uh, Delta Hockey Academy Green. You had three first-round picks in that team, and I think a total of about 12 guys who got drafted in total. So you finished first place in your division. I mean, tell me about the team you guys had last year. Yeah, we had an unreal team. Our team was just unreal. Yeah, we had great coach. The players were amazing. Loved every one of them. Now, you were personal season. I know hockey is a team sport and guys generally try to avoid talking about themselves, but you had a great year last year. You went from 30 points your first year as a Bantam to 64 points in your second season last year. What kind of changes did you make in your game to be able to improve by so much? Well, it's just that summer just getting bigger, you know, playing against a little bit of younger kids, just a mix of all that stuff. Now, heading into the Bantam draft, obviously you draft your whole thing leads up to when the draft happens. I mean, were you kind of crossing days off your calendar by the end of it, just waiting for the draft? Yeah, ever since the start of the year, I've just been thinking about it, just getting ready for it. Now, when that day finally came and you found out you were drafted 14th overall by the Broncos, uh, can you sort of tell me your initial thoughts when you found out? I mean, where were you and, and how did you find out? I was super excited. We were watching on YouTube in New York for a Philly tournament I was there for. Yeah, I was just super pumped up. Did you know much about the Broncos uh, as a team before you got drafted by them? I, I would imagine you did a bit of research afterwards, but what did you know about them beforehand? Uh, not too much. I just followed the league a bit the year before. I just They won it, everything. So I know that you're now committed to the team. You've signed your standard player agreement. Uh, of course, you can't play full-time this year, being a 2004-born player, but probably get some games in as an affiliate player this season. And now that you're here in Swift Current, you've seen the facilities, you've seen the town, met some of your future teammates. I mean, what are the excitement levels like for you as you, you sort of look forward a couple years down the road to playing here? I'm super excited. I'm just going to try my best to be a player here, make that jump in a few years. So, yeah. Now, you're going to be playing uh, where this year? You're playing at Delta Hockey Academy again? West Van. West Van. So that's uh, CSSHL? Yeah. yeah. So you're going to play in that league again, and now you're going to be playing against guys who are, you know, potentially two, three years older than you. So what are you going to do to sort of make, a, make an impact in a, in a league against players who are older than you? Probably just try my best to, like, play with speed, lots of skill. Just trying my best out there. 
Do you have any personal goals for the season when it comes to you know statistics, team success? What do you think your, some of your goals might be? Well, we got hopefully get into that playoffs and then do pretty good there. So. Now, being the one of the first-round picks for the Broncos this past year, you're obviously going to be a big piece of the, the rebuild here for this team after winning the championship in 2018. I mean, when you envision yourself as a Swift Current Bronco, let's say two, three years down the road, what kind of position do you see yourself in with this team? Uh, I hope to be, like, a top guy on the team. You know, hopefully just be out there a lot, you know, help out the team as much as I can. We'll finish this off here with a couple of rapid-fire questions here, Matt. Uh, first up, what do you think your favorite TV show is? Brooklyn Nine-Nine, probably. Game day routine for you? Uh, just fresh fresh tape on the stick, not too much. Favorite pregame meal? Uh, chicken and pasta, probably. Uh, outside of hockey, what do you think your, your favorite thing to do is? Uh, don't do too much stuff outside of hockey. Probably maybe golf. And uh, lastly, you've worn number 10 for the last two seasons, uh, your, both years of Bantam. Why did you pick number 10? I think it was just given to me one year, and then I've just ever stuck with it since, you know, I was young. So, Fair enough. Matt, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you. You're listening to Broncos This Week, presented by Original 16, the official beer of the Swift Current Broncos. Wrapping things up on this edition of Broncos This Week, brought to you by Original 16. I'm Ryan Schweitzer, Craig Boschman. Nice little chat with Matt Ward, someone who seems like he's excited to be a part of the Bronco family and looking to contribute in the years to come. Yeah, and he he, yeah, and, well, he contributed in the preseason as well. I mean, he scored a goal in his first ever game. He got the shootout winner in his second game. So um, this is a guy who I think is going to be a major player for the Broncos uh, as early as next season and then moving through his junior career. So like I said earlier in the, po- in the uh, podcast, it was great to get a chance to talk to him, and I'm sure um, we'll be seeing and a lot more of him as the years go on, and it's going to be fun to see him develop as a player. A week and change away from our regular season home opener. There's going to be a home and home with Lethbridge this weekend. You can catch the Broncos in preseason action this Saturday night at the Innovation Credit Union Iplex. But uh, 21st, that's the big date. Home opener against the Calgary Hitmen, and just going around town. You know the excitement's really starting to build, and uh, you know we should have a pretty pretty stuffed house here on that night of September 21st as the Broncos start the 2019. 20 season in the Central Division against a team that historically hasn't been a huge rival, but I imagine things will start heating up as they take on Calgary. Yeah, and, and uh, I think Calgary's probably going to be missing some players to pro camps. You know, they traded for Jet Wu for Moose Jaw. He's probably going to be at Canucks camp during that time, and um, I think they've got another another Canucks draft pick on the uh, on the Hitman as well, so they might be missing some of their top players, which, hey, I don't think the Broncos are going to complain about that, but um, really looking forward to that, and obviously the festivities here at the Iplex don't just start with puck drop. Uh, there's going to be stuff going on for four to six, and then people kind of ushered into the building uh, around six, six ten, six fifteen to get things uh, underway. So there's a barbecue outside. Uh, there's going to be some music playing. We've got the high school marching band that's coming to perform here as well. Um, so there's going to be a lot of stuff going on, and of course the big, um, big screen reveal out there, the full official reveal for the uh, new uh, big screen here at the Iplex. So it's going to be a fun, uh, a fun night here. Um, no game on the Friday. It's going to be, it's going to feel weird. It always feels weird to either. Not not be working a game on a Friday or a Saturday. Now that I've been in junior hockey for five years now, it feels weird to have a Friday or Saturday off. But um, the Saturday nights here in Swift Current at the Iplex to open up the season, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to sort of getting back into that normal routine of, of being around the rink, you know, six days a week kind of thing. So um, it's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to that regular season opener. But, uh, of course, as you mentioned, this week we've still got two preseason games in Lethbridge uh, Friday and, of course, back home against Lethbridge on the Saturday. And, and I think the 
lineups that you'll see in those games will look more like what opening day will look like for both of these teams because you know uh, teams are starting to you know cut down on their preseason rosters the the top uh, you know the 04 players who can't play full-time this year have been you know sent back to their their midget teams for the start of the year so um, it's going to be a more regular looking lineup and then players that you'll see opening night on Saturday uh, next Saturday I should say but uh, this Saturday you'll see some players who are going to be here you know for sure to start the season so um, should be another good one on Saturday uh, and Friday to start off the to finish off the preseason against uh, again as you mentioned a new central division rival in the Lethbridge Hurricanes and uh, I'm looking forward to, to getting back on the bus a four-hour trip can't forget to bring my pillows this time because I'm going to have to sleep <laughs> after the game we're probably not going to get back until what's a four-hour drive four and a half nah, to Lethbridge? No, you can do it in three and in a, a bus though well, you know what? That road from Lethbridge to Medicine Hat, yeah. like Medicine Hat, it's Trans Canada Highway, it's smooth sailing. Yeah. But yeah, that uh, that highway between Medhat and Lethbridge is such an X factor because it's a really <laughs> busy highway. Right. A lot of oil moving up and down that highway, a lot of big trucks, and it's just uh, like it's two lane most oh, of the way. Lane, yeah. So it's kind of an X factor. If you get stuck behind a, a giant piece of machinery that's moving at a slow rate, that I don't know, I, you can do it. I mean, late at night, there shouldn't be much going on. Bussy puts the hammer down, you're here. <laughs> Three. You're, you're home in 345, I think. Still bringing the pillows. Yeah, no, good call. <laughs> you know, looking at our schedule this year as well, and, uh, you know, we're heavy on the weekend games. They, they changed things up on the schedule this year. The home games are in green. Oh, yeah. We got to remind our fans to make note of that because historically home games have always been in blue on the schedule. So the home games are in green on the schedule that, uh, is it the same? Yeah. Yep. And uh, there's a lot of green on Saturday nights. Like yeah. A lot of home games on Saturday and Friday, too. Yeah. Which I'm just fine with. Oh, yeah. You know, those are always the games that have the best atmosphere and such. So it's going to be an exciting year. So very much looking forward to that. A lot of games uh, on weekends here at home. So nice job by. Uh, I'm going to say Dean at league scheduling <laughs> meetings to make that happen and get us those key Saturday and Friday dates. So that'll do it for another edition of the Broncos this week podcast. Next week on the show, we'll uh, most certainly have a member of the coaching staff join us. I would imagine Dean Brockman will make himself available as he is always very accommodating. I'm Ryan Schweitzer. He's Craig Boschman. That's it. Another edition of Broncos this week powered by original 16. You've been listening to Broncos this week presented by original 16.